uh, Je- Jen, my wife, was sitting in the lounge room watching uh, TV on the laptop. It's funny how we do that now on laptops, isn't it? Uh, and she was a bit teary-eyed. It's that show, Arne's Brush with Fame. Has anyone seen this? Uh, Arne Doe, the comedian, writer, TV personality and painter with spatula. This guy can do everything. Uh, he interviews someone who's at least a bit famous in Australia. Uh, and while he's interviewing them, he paints their portrait. And Arne's good at helping people feel comfortable and so uh, helping them share and really bringing them out. So a lot of the interviews are quite emotional. Jen rewound it a bit so that I could be teary with her. I'm almost 40 and now it's appropriate to cry during a TV show, isn't it? Uh, It was the vet, Dr Harry, from Harry's Practice. The portrait's up there on the screen for you. Uh, As Dr Harry shared his story, he spoke about his dad who wanted to see Harry established. Uh, Not from a wealthy family, uh, and using Harry's love for animals as his motivator, Harry's dad said, if you get the scholarship, the school scholarship, I'll give you a pair of budgies. And with a smile, Harry said, he gave me two pair. Uh, Harry eventually got into university to study vet science. He said he got in because at the time no one else wanted to do it. And on prac, he was freaked out by having to handle horses. A boy from the city, he'd never done it before, and so he went home and said, I can't do it. I want to give it up. It's too much. He said his dad was one who would tackle problems head on. And later his dad said, I got you a job down at the racetrack handling horses for three hours each morning before university. And at the end of the year, Harry won the horse handling award. When it came time for Harry to, he graduated and to buy into a vet practice, Harry's dad, who'd lived through the depression, mortgaged his home to make it happen. He wanted to see Harry established. Harry's telling his story and he spoke of harder things too, losing his daughter to colon cancer just after she had a child. He spoke of his love for that border collie, uh, Rosie, the best dog ever. And right towards the end of the interview, uh, Arne asks Harry, this thing called life, what's it all about? Life's for the living. You get on with living, said Harry. I just want them to say, Harry's a good bloke. And hopefully when it's my time, he'll take me up. Aunt asked, do you, do you believe after we pass that we'll see our loved ones again? I, I don't know, says Harry. No one has ever been back to tell us because no one has ever come back. But one day we'll know. And Aunt said, well, in the absence of certainty, let's just paint a picture. Rosie, the dog, is there. Daughter Tiffany is there. Dad is there. I'd want all my kids, all my special animals. I'd want all of my friends, green grass, blue sky and a creek, said Harry. And the interview ended. In one sense, Harry's story is the beautiful picture of a dad who wanted to see his son established. That was the teary bit for Jen. The love of Harry's dad on display. But also such a terribly sad picture of uncertainty about the future 
It's just wishful thinking. In the absence of certainty, let's just. Now, I want to say to you this afternoon that you may well be a professing Christian. You you sang that song with gusto, the creed, I believe in God the Father. And despite your confession, you may have a similar attitude to Harry about the future, about the end. I hope, wishful thinking kind of hope, it will be okay in the end. I hope he'll be happy with me. At some point, you've come to Jesus recognising that you are a dreadful sinner in need of God's saving grace. But then at some other point, you've mixed things around and believed a counterfeit gospel worrying about whether or not God will be pleased with you on the basis of your performance. No. No, the way into the Christian life is the way on in the Christian life. And Romans 5 is great for reorientating our thinking. I remember my older brother saying to me when I was a teenager, Romans 5, 1 to 11, that's where I'd take someone to explain the the wonderful news of Jesus. And I agree, it's a great place to go, isn't it? And so if you don't yet know how much the God who made you loves you, well, here Romans 5 is a good place to be. Anyway, that was a way too long introduction, wasn't it? You just notice with me the three blessings, three blessings that Paul lists that flow from the saving work of Jesus, this justification by faith. Verse 1, peace with God. You cannot understate that, can you? Now, this is not the internal feeling of peace that Paul has on view here, which he talks about in Philippians. But what is on view here is the objective external peace. God's justice has been satisfied at the cross. Therefore, he holds absolutely nothing against us. He holds nothing against the believer. But you see too in verse 1, the second, not only do we have a relationship with God that is absent of his righteous anger, it's dealt with, we also have access, what does he say, by faith into into the grace in which we Stand as I'm standing here, so the believer stands in an unconditional, undeserved relationship with God right now, presently. It's not an occasional thing like some of those human relationships on again, off again. She did this, so we're not together anymore. He did that, it's all over. It is not something we can fall in and out of, no. Nor is it a special occasion like someone, you know, gets to go and visit the king, a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. But it's secure. It's continuous. It's unchanging. It's an undeserved relationship. We don't just visit the palace on a special occasion. We live there. And the third blessing flowing from justification by faith. Verse 2, we enjoy, you notice this, we rejoice in, uh, we boast, our NIV translation has, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. 
What is that? Well, the hope is not wishful thinking like in the Dr. Harry interview. It's not, I hope the weather will be good tomorrow, but it's hope that rests in the promises of God. It's solid hope, a certain, sure, solid expectation that we will share in the glory of God based on the reliable promise of God. And you see verse 3, that this sure hope is only further cemented and developed through our suffering. It's amazing, isn't it? The believer can glory in suffering, not in that weird way, I'm enjoying this suffering. Sometimes people do that and it's not healthy. But suffering cements the hope we have in Christ. Perseverance in the face of opposition shows the genuineness of our commitment. Perseverance, what's the flow? Perseverance, character, character, hope. And hope does not disappoint, says Paul. A freshening up of our desire for the future day of glory, Jesus' return. Three things, peace with God, bedded in the bloody cross of Jesus. All those years ago, God's wrath has been dealt with. Is God happy with me? Yes. Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. God's wrath was poured out upon him. Present relationship. We stand in the grace. I'm secure in Christ on my worst day. I'm doing everything wrong just as I am on my best day. And that future hope of glory, it is not wishful thinking but firm on the promises of God. So that's the, four ver- the first four verses of chapter 5, isn't it? Um, whenever I hear someone like Harry answer that question, what, what do you think happens when we die? And they answer with, well, we don't know. No one has ever been back to tell us. You want to say, don't you? Have you heard of Jesus? Uh, lots of people in our community today have never heard of Jesus. I want to say, do you know about the evidence that points to the reality of the resurrection? I want to say, would you be willing to read one of the eyewitness accounts with me? It's a big thing to not bother looking into, isn't it? How can we be sure that our future hope will be fulfilled? And of course, the resurrection is key, isn't it? But Paul gives three reasons in verses 5 through 11, and it's got to do with the love of God. Do you notice this in verse 5? We read, And hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. The subjective feeling that God loves me Paul is saying it's a work of God. It's the action of the third member of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit himself. And we may feel that lesser and and greater at certain times, but every believer has an inner experience of God's love. 
It gives us some assurance of the future hope being fulfilled. Yeah, I'm not really feeling the subjective thing at the moment, you say. Well, Paul moves on. We go to the objective. A second reason for assurance, verse 6 to 8. And while back in chapter 3, you remember, as Paul points to the bloody cross of Jesus, he has God's justice on view. Here it's God's love in the sights. And this is, this is a beautiful argument. Who does Jesus die for? His friends? No. Righteous people? No, no one is righteous, not even one. Uh, he dies for the powerless. We come to him helpless. He dies for the ungodly. He dies for the sinners. And perhaps verse 12 is the most striking. Jesus dies for his enemies. Can you imagine out of love dying for the person that you hate? I mean the person that you struggle to like. It's a better way to put it, isn't it? The person who is against you all of the time, even just thinking of them can wind you up and make you angry. Now, of course, in Paul's argument, someone might die for a nice person. A mother might even die for a child, of course. But the Ukrainian president laying down his life for Putin? No way! That would not happen. Kill him, sure. Yes, die for him. No. But verse 8, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were God's enemies, living in rebellion against him, Christ died for us. God gave me his best when I was at my worst. And it isn't that we want to be friends with God, but that he wants to be friends with us while we were living in rebellion and sin. While I was telling God to piss off, he sent his son into the world to die on the cross in my place as they're hurling their insults at Jesus, as they're nailing his hands and feet to the cross. What does he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And look, we could just sit with that for a very long time, and so should we. But in verses 9 to 11, Paul gives us a wonderful how much more argument. So that's the case. How much more? Verse 9 to 11, let me read. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. You and I can know this afternoon what God is going to say on the last day how? 
Well, Paul argues he's already done the bigger thing. Reconciled us to himself through Jesus, brought us back into relationship with him when we were his enemies. Dying in our place while we were in rebellion against him, now we're friends. Of course he'll bring this salvation to completion. Of course he will. We're in the market for a new lawnmower. Uh, you know how to do lawnmower research. I mean, you've all got your own methods. This is mine. I'm asking people. But the, the primary argument for me is the neighbour across the road, he's retired, and the neighbour over here. They've got perfect lawns and they both drive the Honda. You've got to get a Honda, don't you? I mean, that's the best lawnmower. Now, now you imagine a friend buys you a lawnmower. May even be the Honda. Uh, and... They buy you the lawnmower and then they, well, you know, it's unpackaged and uh, you're enjoying the lawnmower and they say, look, I'm going to get you a house too. Uh, do you trust that they'll do it? Uh, I mean, a house is a fair bit bigger than a lawnmower, even if it's the Honda that they've, they've got you. But what if it was the other way around? They got you a house. Here you go, and you're living in the house, enjoying this house. It's a mansion, not just any, any house. And they say, oh, by the way, I'm going to get you a mower as well. I mean, who cares if they get you the mower, hey? But uh, of course they will. They've given you the mansion. They'll get you the mower too. And this is, this is Paul's argument, having already done the greater thing. God the Father sends the Son into the world to live a perfect life and die on the cross as your representative, as our substitute, taking the wrath upon himself and giving us his righteousness. We're in right standing presently before him now. Of course, he'll do the comparatively lesser thing to the fulfilment of our hope taking us to be with him in glory. It's a great argument, I reckon. Jen and I were getting a bit teary uh, over the love of, you know, Dr. Harry's dad doing all that he could to see his son established. It's a beautiful thing. Dr. Harry's dad's love on display. I hope you see how much the God of the Bible loves you. At the cross, God's perfect love on display. The wrath of God dealt with peace with God. I'm not feeling it right now. Don't worry. This one's an objective thing. Standing in the grace right now, just as secure in him on my best day as on my worst. And there's the subjective. I feel I have a sense of God's love for him, a certain expectation of the future, but it is not just wishful thinking. My assurance is grounded in the promise of God. Now, Kenny did that Bible reading for us, and it was quite long, wasn't it? We're only up to chapter, uh, verse 11 at the moment. In verses 12 through 20, Paul shows us that there's really only two groups in this world and two representatives. Either you're in Adam, verse 12, 
And that's where we're all born, in opposition to God, enemies of God, sinners. From back in the day that Adam and Eve rejected God's good plan, so we in him, all of humanity, we're sinners. It's the natural state of every human being. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ, verse 15, transferring from Adam's camp to Christ's. How? Through faith, it's one or the other. And to reject the saving work of Jesus is to remain in Adam's camp. But to come to the Lord Jesus Christ, do you see how much God loves you? Securing peace with God, his wrath dealt with. Unconditional relationship. My status before him cannot, will not change. And a sure and solid hope of glory. Why don't we just pray about that? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the most wonderful news of Jesus. And Lord, we pray that as we look at you, as we marvel at you and what you have done as you reveal yourself to us through the scriptures, that our hearts might sing, that we might grasp how wide and long and high and deep is your love for us in Christ Jesus. And Lord, we pray that you would help us live each day in the freedom as we do on the first day. The way into the Christian life is the way on in the Christian life. And so, Lord, we pray that you would forgive us for the ways that we fail to honour you. But we do thank you that on our worst day, we stand as on our best day, secure in our King. And Lord, as we think of the future and we worry, help us not drift into wishful thinking but help us stand firmly on your promise, the almighty God who's done the bigger thing. Surely you'll give us the lawnmower too. We pray these things in Jesus' great name. Amen.